copy of the Word of God, if you would, please, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 23, which is really the uh, second part of the parable that we studied last time, where uh, Jesus uh, told a parable about different soils. He was really talking about not just soils, but he was talking about people's hearts, and today he's going to explain what the reception of the gospel is like in a person's heart, and that'll be in verses 18 uh, to 23. So the first part of that uh, was the parable, and now Jesus is going to explain to us exactly what he meant as he explains to the disciples exactly what he meant uh, by this particular uh, parable that he told. Now, um, maybe like you, maybe not, I don't know, but I have had the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to lots and lots of people over the years. What I mean good news, good news for what? The good news is that uh, the Bible says that we are enemies of God, we're bound for hell, from the womb we are sinners and enemies of God, and if we don't get uh, some salvation from that, we don't get to make it to heaven for the rest of eternity. So when we talk about seeing people saved, we're talking about them hearing the good news trusting that Jesus paid for their sins on the cross, and then uh, they get eternal life. That means they're saved, saved from eternal damnation in hell. And that's what we want to save them from. Well, God has given many, many opportunities for me to share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when I'm done, and they have prayed for forgiveness and put their faith in Christ for that forgiveness, then I often wonder what just happened. What just happened to them? What did they just do? Did they really do it? Did they really mean what they just said? Have you ever had that experience where you've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and uh, you wonder, you look at them and they've got some kind of a glassy look in their eyes. You wonder, did you understand this? Do you, do you know what's going on? Can you tell me what I just told you? And you wonder, how's this going to turn out when they uh, trusted Christ their Savior? Did, they, did it come from their heart? Usually I'm explaining the gospel of Christ to somebody, and they may say, uh, oh, I agree with that, I agree with that. And I said, so in your heart, you've already trusted him as your Savior. And they say, yeah, I have. I said, well, let's just tell Jesus out loud so that you have something to remember that on this date, in this place, I put a stake in the history of my life, and this is when I made Jesus my Savior. And Satan can't take that away from me. Nobody can take it away from me, so I'd like to do that. Well, I have honestly been surprised in both directions in terms of people's response to the gospel message. People whom I thought made a genuine decision for Christ, seem very sincere, uh, seem uh, very, very little confident in life about the reality of that decision. The decision uh, wasn't life-changing for them. In fact, I couldn't tell any difference in their life at all. So uh, I have little confidence that they made a real decision. Now, let's make it very personal for a minute, because what happens is when, when you trust Christ as your Savior, your life is supposed to change. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you're supposed to put off sin. You're supposed to live for Christ. You're supposed to do things the way God wants you to live. And if you don't, then we wonder, wow, we scratch our head. There's something wrong here, because the Bible says God makes a difference. So just to make it personal for just a minute here, let's, let's make it very personal and let's ask ourselves this question, or I guess I have a couple of questions. Do you suppose that you know somebody? Do you suppose that there is anybody who is looking at you and looking at your life and wondering if you made a genuine decision based on your lifestyle, your beliefs, and your attitudes about Jesus? 
If you ever wondered if there's other people out there, <clears throat> sorry about my voice, did you ever wonder about people out there that might be looking at you and saying, I'm not so sure he's a Christian. He says he's a Christian, but look at the way he lives. His lifestyle doesn't say anything about Christianity. Sometimes he has a bad attitude about Jesus. And I know people in my life who say they love Jesus, but they hate his bride. I run into people like that. Who's the bride? Well, it's the church of Jesus Christ. How do you love Jesus and hate the church? How do you love Jesus and hate his bride? I just don't think that that could possibly go together. And I wonder why people say they belong to Jesus Christ, but they don't want to come to a church because they don't like church and they don't like people, and they just stay away. You know, God alone knows the truth of somebody's heart. God alone knows what a person has really done. I don't know. All I have to go on is, did it change your life? Are you doing stuff for Jesus right now? Or is it the same old thing that it's always been as far as the way your life goes? You got your ticket to heaven, and now you can say, well, I can live however I want. That's really not a genuine taking of the ticket to heaven. However, there are certain indicators that can clue us as individuals looking on can clue us into the reality of a person's heart. Did they really get a heart change? Was it really regenerated? Did it really pass from death unto life? How do we know? How do we tell? Uh, these things can clue us into the reality of our own heart as well, if we're honest about it. And I think that's the first thing we need to look to before we look to other people, and that is, am I giving other people a reason to doubt that I belong to God? And if I am, maybe I better check and see, make sure I really do belong to God. And so what Jesus is going to tell his disciples, and he's going to share with us, is the meaning of the parable of the sower. We're going to call it the parable of the hearts, because that's really what's involved. In other words, let's just uh, pretend that you're sharing the gospel with four people, and you're wondering how they're going to accept it. Let's say you're in a, in a small group, and you decide you're going to share the gospel with them. And uh, they have different responses. So who's in and who's out? And this answers some of those questions for us, really many of them. In verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, that's Satan, that's the devil, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown, beside the road. So Jesus is going to go through every one of the scenarios where the seed fell, and we'll point those out as we go. Let me say this first from verse 18. Jesus wants true believers, and that's people that have really uh, trusted Christ as Savior, to understand and apply the true meaning of the parables. These parables mean something, and we want to apply them to our lives, especially if we're out there trying to lead people to Christ, and we want them to uh, come to know him as Savior. This is a result of the disciples asking Jesus, why all of a sudden are you speaking in parables to people and to the crowds? That goes back to verse 10. So Jesus now invites them to hear the truth about the parable. He's already explained those people were not given the privilege of God to understand the parable. Their hearts are hardened and darkened. That was verses uh, 5, well, 14 and 15 uh, that we went through last week. And Jesus now says to the disciples, but you are different. You have the ability to hear what is the truth of God. In other words, to understand the meaning of the parable of the soils. The word hear means to, it's a call not just to hear the words of the parable, but to understand what those words mean. It is to apply it to their theological understanding. It becomes a part of the truth in their brains in terms of what is God, who is God, and what has he done. 
So their theological understanding of what it will be like to minister the gospel to people is going to grow. So you need to know, not everybody you talk to is going to receive the truth of the gospel. Some people are closed the minute you say the word Jesus. Some, sometimes they feel like, oh, I don't want to hear anything spiritual. Don't tell me about it. I've got my own way. I don't want to hear your way. And I want you to know that not everybody's going to come to know Christ. Not everybody is going to be able to do that. And we want to understand what's going on. Jesus is going to tell them the exact meaning of what he told the crowds in parabolic form. A parable, then, again, is a narrative or saying designed to illustrate a truth especially through a comparison or a simile or an illustration. Jesus told them the truth uh, for what now he is going to tell them the plain meaning is. So he goes in verse 19 and he starts with the first seed. Now I read that, let me read it again. Now this goes back to what we, we were in last week when he just told about a sower went out to sow his seed. He threw it on four different kinds of ground, a road, rocks, weeds, and good soil. And some of them, only one of them produced fruit. Now Jesus tells us what's really going on spiritually. Jesus says, uh, number one in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his or her heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Going back to the parable. So what he's saying is this can happen to people who hear the word of God and hear about salvation. And I put it this way if you're following along in your bulletin. The seed by the road, okay, this is what it is. Some people will hear but not understand, and the evil one will snatch away the gospel that has been sown in their heart. So Satan has a part in people not understanding the gospel. They can hear it, they can hear how they can go to heaven, and then it just doesn't make any sense. They don't understand it. And he's saying that Satan comes and removes that word of God from their heart. That's pretty powerful. When you stop and think about it, we're in a battle for people's hearts and, and lives. The word for understand, what does he mean they don't understand it? It's one that we uh, covered when we went over the actual parable in, in uh, th verses 3 to 9. Understand means to have an intellectual grasp that challenges one thinking, one's thinking or practice. Most people today, if you talk to them, they'll tell you, yeah, I am going to get into heaven. I'm going to get into heaven because I'm a good person. Just had somebody tell me that this week. I'm a good person. That's how I'm going to get into heaven. And uh, that's what they're relying on. I make sure as I share the gospel that they remember, this is what you told me you're going to get into heaven. Like, you're going to work your way in. You're going to be good. Because it's very clear the Bible says you can't work your way in and you can't be good enough. So they don't understand. They're being challenged intellectually to try to grasp that it's just by faith, it's not by works. They're being challenged uh, theologically because they've always believed it's by good works, but it isn't by good works. And it means also, the word means to comprehend. That is what information is uh, designed to do. Information is designed to be comprehended by somebody, and it's to change us. So these people just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to them. They don't understand how there could be a God-man, how he could come back to earth, and how he could die for other people's sins. How does that work? And it just makes sense. And I've heard people say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's the most intelligent thing I've ever heard, and it's the most powerful thing I've ever heard. And so uh, they don't change their line. It doesn't make sense to them. It never gets to the point of a decision, nor does it challenge uh, their current view of how a person gets to heaven if they believe in heaven at all. 
Most of them are set on heaven being a reward from God for their good works, and they are dead wrong, eternally dead wrong. The enemy plays a part in the gospel not making an impact on somebody's heart. And we need to remember that. We could be sharing the gospel with somebody, and they get a glassy look in their eye, and they're not understanding it, That's because Satan is blinding the minds of the unbeliever so that they cannot see or hear or recognize the truth. There's no impact being made on their life. The enemy plays a part in taking the gospel message from their heart. It it says that he snatches the seed of truth away. He just snatches it out of their mind. They just can't understand it. The message is not something that sticks with them for very long. The enemy takes it. You can say to somebody, I just shared that with you last week. What are you talking about? You've never heard that. You don't know it. You can try again, you know, but they may not get it again. The message is not something that is going to make any sense to them. And so people might even tell you that doesn't make any sense. All right, uh, let's bolster that a little bit, that truth. And let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, this, This passage is so very clear about this. It's just wonderful. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, telling us what what it going, what's going on there in verse one. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. He's talking about sinful things and walking in the craftiness and adulterating of the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We used to believe a lie. Now we believe the truth. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, and that's the whole point, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is veiled to certain people. In other words, there's a covering over their brain almost and over their heart. They just don't get it. They just can't see it. The gospel is veiled. He says it's veiled to those who are perishing, who are on the path to eternal uh, destruction. It says, here's what happened to them, and this is this parable that we're talking about. In whose case the God, notice that's little g in your Bible, he's talking about Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves uh, as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, it goes like this. You can be telling somebody the gospel, and if the Spirit of God doesn't open up their heart to understand, oh, wow, I, I never knew that before. This is wonderful. I can get to heaven just by believing Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, and it makes sense to them. It takes the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit of God, according to verse 6 in that passage, for them to be able to come and comprehend that. Let's go to another one in Romans chapter 1. And this time I'm looking at verses uh, 21 through 24. Romans 1, 21 to 24. For even though they, he's talking about people of the world, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God, because of their their actions, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. 
for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What do we see happening in our world? Number one, they want to use artificial intelligence to rewrite our Bible so everybody can enjoy it. Uh, so those things are going to be taken out of it, I'm sure. And they all, they all want to uh, do their own thing, and they want to worship creation. That's what's happening, and this is what it said. Uh, instead of uh, the one who is blessed forever. All right, let's see. Do I want to go one more verse? No, that's no, good enough. And then one more, 1 John, near, uh, near the book of Revelation. Uh, 1 John 5, 19. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So Satan's out there. Satan is strong. And you can tell the gospel to somebody and Satan just snatches it away because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, they don't, don't understand it. And it takes God's power to overcome Satan's work and to open the minds of the unbeliever so they can understand the truth. Let's move to verses 20 and 21, the seed that fell in rocky soil. It says there in verse 20, And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, notice this, because of the word, because of God, because of the scripture, immediately he falls away. In other words, these are people that it just takes somebody to make fun of them about their salvation, make fun of them about their faith, and they just walk away. So we learn here that some receive the word with joy but immediately fall away from it when affliction and persecution for their faith comes on them. I'm going to say the most I ever saw that was in camp, up at Camp Idrahaji, and a camp person, the kids up there, their home life is a wreck. Mom and dad are getting a divorce. They're falling apart. They're looking for something. They're looking for anything. And I've seen some kids just uh, go absolutely joyful uh, when, when they receive Christ as Savior. And it's also the same group that when they go home, they get back in that environment and they give up God. I wonder, did you really uh, come to know Christ as your Savior? I had one young lady who was completely joyful and then completely fell away. And then years later really surprised me and was still following God. And I just don't know, but God, God knows. But from what I could see, it looked like it was just a waste of time as far as that goes. But it wasn't. So in verse 20, this type of conversion though not genuine. Did you hear that? They may have received it with joy, but it's not real. Uh, this is a hard one to swallow because of what you saw. You saw them get really happy about coming to know Christ, really happy about following God, and then they don't. When someone prays about faith in Christ, and it results in jubilation and sometimes tears of joy, and telling others immediately what they did, well, you think that's got to be the real thing. From some people, it is the real thing, but only time will tell. So time becomes a barometer of, did you really do that? Did it really come from your heart, or did you not? That's why we're so concerned that when our kids leave for college and they go to some of these godless secular campuses, what is their life going to really be like? And are they going to show it or not show it? Only time will tell. So in a gospel presentation, I've added to my gospel presentation, I say when they're done, if you really meant this in your heart, and I'm not saying I'm doubting you, but if you really meant this, your life is going to change. I'm not going to call him a liar. I'm not going to say, hey, I could tell you didn't mean this. I'm just going to say if you really meant it, your life will change. How, where do I get that? Well, I get that from the good soil, all right? 
I will be waiting. I'm not going to tell them this, but I'll be waiting to see what you do. And that is what brings me great joy when I find you doing that. And I can say along with John in, in 3 John verse 4, I am just absolutely delighted when I find out my children in the faith are walking with Jesus. I, you know, to meet somebody that 10 years ago he led to Christ and they're still walking with Jesus. They're still concerned about him. They're still, you know, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. That's a wonderful thing. Well, in verse 21, the problem, Jesus says, is that the person that he's talking about has no firm root, in other words, of the gospel taking hold in him or her. Apparently, it was just more of a head thing, uh, more of a, a way to escape a problem real quick, or this will make my home life better, or something like that, but it doesn't last. Now, in my lifetime, I've pulled a few weeds. And one time, I remember, I tied into this great big red root, and I mean, it was huge, and I thought, man, it's going to take all I can to pull this out, and it came out so fast and so easy, I, I fell down. Uh, that, that root had no firm root. They came out easily. Uh, the root they have is only temporary, and it's shallow. True salvation is forever. So hang on to that. What causes him to lose the connection that he has? Well, it's that he had no firm root. It didn't really mean anything. Uh, bottom line is that is when, when he was afflicted and persecuted in some way, and notice this makes it very clear, uh, because of the word, so because of faith, because uh, he gets challenged in his faith or he gets made fun of in his faith or something like that, the bottom line is when he reaches that affliction or that persecution, it says he immediately, immediately falls away like he immediately received it with joy. And sometimes when you come to Christ, you start telling people that, they don't invite you to their parties anymore. And they make fun of you. And they don't understand what you're doing. So they abandon you. You just can't stand that. So you give up God and you go back to those friends. Falling away here has the idea of being brought to a downfall. That's what the word means. These people in bad soils don't lose, don't lose their faith. They never had genuine faith. Genuine faith doesn't look like this. It doesn't act like that. Because affliction and persecution should not be able to uproot us from our faith. If it can, then what we had was not genuine conversion. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 3 and 4, Paul tells the Thessal Thessalonians, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, Paul says, I came and I strengthened and encouraged you in the faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know, wow, that we have been destined for this. For what? For affliction and persecution. We haven't seen much of that in America, but the day is coming. They've got it planned for us. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it's come to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could not endure it any longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter, that Satan, might have tempted you, which is what he does, and our labor would have been in vain. You hear what Paul did? He, he led these Thessalonians to Christ, and they fall into persecution. He knows the parable that Jesus wrote, and he said sometimes people will show that they really aren't believers because in persecution they give up Jesus. Paul said, I sent somebody to find out in this persecution, are you still following Jesus? Is he still your master? 
and Paul was great was greatly pleased to find out they were still following. Well, let's look at uh, verse 22, seed sown among the thorns. And the one on whom the seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. So we learn here that the anxieties and greed in the world choke out some people's dedication to the Savior and they are then unfruitful. And if you're unfruitful, it means you don't have it. Uh, this person hears the word, but the anxiety in this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, so they're after money and greed, chokes out the word of the gospel, and this person yields no fruit. What they're saying is, the trouble of this world, Jesus can't handle, he's no good, and I would like to seek riches, and uh, you know, Jesus may, necessarily, may not necessarily want me to do that, but I'm greedy, and that becomes more important, making money, working till all hours of the night, making sure I'm at work every day, and uh, being a workaholic. When confronted about his faith, he might just respond by uh, throwing another donation in the church's direction, just to make himself feel good. Dr. Blomberg said about this person, and asked this question, do we survive the onslaught of demands that, this is good, do we survive the onslaught of demands that compete against our loyalties to Christ? When our loyalty is on the line, do we survive it? When our loyalty is in question, do we survive it? Do we end up going God's way, is what he's saying. The word choke here means to check the growth of something or the well-being of something by pressure. It means to crowd around or press upon. You're letting the worries of the world and, and this greed just, just pressure me out, out of my walk with Jesus which means I really didn't have a genuine walk in the first place. With the pressure of the world, the gospel has no way to thrive, or, and it chokes and dies in these folks. We should ask, do I believe the gospel so much that I would stake my life on it? Is there pressure that is choking out my commitment to Jesus? And now, uh, the only good soil. Verse 23. And the one on whom the seed was sown on good soil, that's a good heart, one that God has prepared. This is the man who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty-fold. In other words, not everybody produces the same amount of fruit, but everybody produces fruit. So the good soil, some hear the word and understand it, and they multiply their faith in others, and they obey God. That's how you find out if you have a genuine believer. That's what they look like. That's how they live. That's what they work for. And they're concerned about their walk with Jesus. The basic difference between this heart and the others is that the gospel was understood, and this one produces fruit. I'm going to go back real quick to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, here and verses 8 to 10. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, talking about the Jewish people listening to Jesus. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Ouch. <laughs> you people, you say you're sons of Abraham. You're not sons of Abraham because you don't do the works of Abraham. If God was just after sons of Abraham, he could make these stones into sons of Abraham. And then Jesus says, the axe is already laid to the root of the trees. Judgment is here. 
with Jesus being there. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And friends, that's, that's a picture of hell. Well, we don't want that to happen to us, right? And so uh, another place is Matthew seven sixteen to 20. Matthew seven sixteen to 20. And it says this. You will know them by their fruits. Know who? Who's genuine? Who's a real believer? You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles. Of course not. So every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that uh, does bear does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Again, a picture of, of eternal, uh, uh, eternal judgment. So then you will know them by their fruits. Know who? Genuine believers. That's how. And that's what he's talking about. Genuine believers. True believers are those who bear proper spiritual fruit. They obey God. They work at reaching others for Christ. So let me say this. Not every good heart produces the same amount of good fruit, but they all produce fruit. I will never even talk to as many people in my life as Billy Graham did at one massive crusade. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He has thousands and thousands of converts. I'll never have that. But I want to be faithful where I'm at. I want to produce the fruit God told me I needed to. So let me tell you this. I hope you don't forget it. Profession does not guarantee perseverance. Profession does not guarantee perseverance, but perseverance proves profession. Profession does not guarantee perseverance, but perseverance proves profession. The formula for a good heart is to hear, to understand, and bear fruit. And that's what the passage teaches us. I want to give you uh, three different quotes here. One is by Dr. Blomberg, and he's quoting somebody by the name of Kistemaker, is his last name. And Kistemaker said this, concise, uh, he says uh, that Kistemaker concisely captures the three main points of the passage, he's talking about our passage today, and three sub-points under the final point. And here's what it is. The word of God is proclaimed and causes a division among those who hear. God, God's people receive the word, they understand it, and they obediently fulfill it. Others fail to listen because of a hardened heart, a basic superficiality, or a vested interest in riches and possessions, which is exactly what the text said. The parable provides a sober reminder that even the most enthusiastic outward response to the gospel offers no guarantee that that person is a true disciple. Only the tests of time, perseverance under difficult circumstances, the avoidance of the idolatries of wealth and anxiety over earthly concerns, and above all, the presence of appropriate fruit can prove the profession is genuine. They say, well said. <laughs> Another one, Dr. Keener. The only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. Another one, uh, Dr. David Turner. The first three types of soil successively outline the three factors that hinder the reception of the kingdom's message. And they are Satan, persecution, and greed. Here's the point. You don't know what kind of a heart you're trying to get through to. 
God does. Our job is not to try to weigh what a person's heart really is, but to give the gospel and let God do the work. So I never look at somebody and say, oh, that, that looks like rocky soil over there. Or that looks like there's enough weeds, that'll never work. That's not my business. My business is love people, share the gospel with them because I love them and I want to see them go to heaven. That's it. And that's what we should remember. But we need to know what we're up against. It's a battle for the hearts and, and souls of men and women and boys and girls. So here's some application. Number one, it takes time to prove one's faith. I can't see a joyous response on a street corner if I share the gospel with somebody's joy and they walk away. I really don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know what is happening for them. Maybe they think Jesus is just the next pill to get them through the day. I don't know. But some are very genuine. And so you don't give up trying. But it takes time to prove one's faith. True faith will show itself in good works and perseverance. You don't do good works to get into heaven. You can only do good works after you've become a Christian. Secondly, explain to people whom you lead to Christ that persecution is a part of being a Jesus follower. Let them know ahead of time. You trusted Christ your Savior. If you stand up for Christ, hey, there's going to be some difficult times in your life. There's going to be some difficult uh, confrontations with people. And people are not going to like your message. Just be aware of that. I've told that to people and say, hey, don't worry about me, I can handle that. <laughs> I really want Jesus to handle that through you. But it's a baby Christian, so that's great. And finally, make up your mind that persecution for your faith in Christ will not be able to cause you to fall away. Make up your mind, persecution for Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about being persecuted for doing wrong things. I'm not, being, I'm not talking about persecuted for, you know, uh, going against the, the law, stealing things and killing people. That's not the point. But when you do the right things and people come against you, that's what this is talking about. I want to end with Philippians 2, 12 to 16. Philippians 2, 12 to 16. Let's let it soak into our hearts and our minds. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, Paul speaking, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you living the way the Bible told you to live? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not on your own. God will help you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You're the light with the good news, with the gospel of Christ, and the people in darkness, man, they really need to hear from us. He goes on to say, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because... I did not run in vain or toil in vain. In other words, because you're the real McCoy. <laughs> You've got the real disease of Christianity. It shows, it affects you. And that's the kind of person we want to be. I want you to understand what it's, uh, what, what's going on with those four people I told you you were sharing the gospel with. Could be any one of those soils. You don't know which, which is a, a good soil, so tell everybody. Let's pray. Well, Father, I want to thank you for telling us what's going on behind the scenes when we're sharing the gospel, because sometimes we just cannot figure out 
why on earth wouldn't anybody and everybody want to go to heaven and want to spend eternity with you? And yet we run into these brick walls. Now you've told us what they are. Help us to remember our job is to give the gospel to every creature. And what happens with that word of faith that we have given is totally up to you and in the decisions that person has made. So I pray that we would just continue to be servants of Christ and take every opportunity to share the gospel as the days grow short. And we ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.